coming. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. We are recording on Thursday, April the 7th, a little bit after 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, and Systems Unlimited. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Uh, We're going to be heavy football today, spring football, with uh, basketball kind of in our rearview mirror. We'll talk a little bit maybe basketball recruiting and roster uh, make up a little bit um, at the end of the podcast and touch on how the baseball team's doing and, and some things like that. But uh, we're going to dive first into the football. We had uh, offensive players last year and Scott or last year, last week and Scott and I spent um, time kind of focusing on that side of the ball this week. We got, um, we spoke with uh, five different defensive players, three different defensive linemen on Tuesday, uh, and then the defensive uh, coaches yesterday. Um, so we'll focus on that side of the ball. Um, I almost feel like, Scott, that people don't even really worry about this side of the ball anymore. It's kind of just a given that Iowa's going to have a good defense. And, you know, the uh, the the um, the people, the players change, but you know, the, the results seem to remain the same. And I really don't have any, I mean, I don't really have any worries that that's going to happen again. I, I mean, I guess you kind of, you know, with the three starting linebackers being dinged up this spring, you always worry about injuries that kind of brings to mind. All right. What if guys get hurt? What if key guys get hurt? But other than that, and those guys don't seem like there are any serious injuries. So uh, it's really just a matter of plugging in some holes and who those guys are going to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, pretty much every year until this one for the last almost every year, I've kind of been like concerned about the the front defensive line because I always think when Iowa is at its best, it's on defense. It's when it has a really good defensive line and it has uh, not only star power, but just the ability to rotate and play a lot of guys who are really good. And, and, uh, and, and I think we saw that over the years when Iowa kind of had that dip period between the, the Claiborne and Ballard era and, then, you know, kind of the recent rise since 2015, where it really has been shown up on defensive line. And, uh, but that's not the case this year. 
I mean, they return everybody but one um, from a defensive line that was ascending by the end of the year, uh, still had more than 30 sacks. And uh, to me, that's that's really a hallmark of effective defensive line play. It's not they don't play a lot of penetrate and, and attack. They play mostly bottle up everybody and then go after them when they can. And uh, to still get to that number, I thought was really impressive. So to me, the the one question is, what do you do in the secondary? And they seem to have enough talent there that they can, you know, you know, really grow quickly. And they've got a lot of competition. But, you know, once they went to cash, it, it, it really evolved that defense in a way that I think was just really beneficial. I mean, you know, since they went to cash, they have 68 interceptions, which is more than any other team in the country. Um, four more than Appalachian State, nine more than Oregon among power fives. And then they're, you know, and that's corresponded with victories. I mean, 35 in that four-year block is they, is tied for the eighth most among power five. And they're one of only seven programs to finish every year in the AP's uh, final top 25. So that's, it's been a really strong year and strong era. And when you look at each of the three levels, I mean, the linebackers, I, you know, I'm not, I think it's going to be one of the best units in the country. I think it could, you know, I mean, I think you've got two, two guys who could get drafted in the top 100 next year and Jack Campbell and, uh, and Justin Jacobs. And I think Seth Benson is a terrific linebacker too. Um, he's going to be a draft pick. And then you look at the defensive line and you just, you saw the way that they were growing and you saw the pieces and how they were performing. And you think, okay, that's just the, the ground level from last year. What's next? And then the back end is, is where they have work to do. Um, but having Riley Moss return, the Big Ten defensive back of the year, and Kayvon Merriweather, who I thought was really uh, a solid player last year. But as he said the other day, hey, everybody else had accolades except me. You know, so I got work to do. And then you throw on some very talented guys. I mean, both yesterday and then the players, you know, talked up TJ Hall. Uh, that was good to hear. Of course, everybody knows about Xavier Mampa. Uh, but Cooper DeGene was one that really has caught, seemingly caught a lot of, uh, turned a lot of heads as well. So I think this defense, it may take it uh, a week or two. And I think the schedule plays out for them the right way. But the secondary should be all systems go in elite fashion by the end of the month. And I think this could be one of the best defenses Iowa ever had. Yeah, I, I certainly think the pieces are there. Um, the depth on the defensive line is always important um, since they started to to uh, rotate guys more up front um, and keep guys fresh. Uh, I think there's depth there to be able to do that again this year. Uh, certainly, uh, we'll miss Zach Van Valkenburg. He was kind of a, a steady force the last few years, um, but I think there are some guys that could uh, – could potentially uh, fill that role nicely. Uh, you know, they talked about Lucas Van Ness kicking out a little bit. I think he's a an athletic type that could uh, really do well on the edge, both in uh, setting the edge and being able to pursue the quarterback. I like the flexibility that they're looking at at the cash position with the potential to play Justin Jacobs there, but also guys like Sebastian Castro, and you mentioned Cooper DeJean, um it's almost like that position is evolving to the point now where they can match up with whoever they're playing. Maybe, you know, Jake, they need a bigger guy like Jacobs in there. And, and 
you know, he's in there with the, with the Leo. So it's similar to that anyway. Um, and then those, those bigger safety types like uh, Amani Hooker uh, and Dane Belton, um, they seem, they're kind of the, 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 uh, the mold right now that we've seen from that position. But I think there's some flexibility there to do some different things with that position as well. For sure. And that's kind of what I focused on in my story today was that, you know, they've, since they flipped the cash, they ran it about 76% of their plays. You know, they still run some four, three, and it makes sense. I mean, if you're looking at a team with two tight ends, you better have a linebacker there, um, you know, going to, to make it a 50 front, basically to, to hit at the point of attack. But, uh, but with a just Justin Jacobs, who's a lot like, you know, dare I say an even more athletic, bigger version of Christian Kirksey um, that you don't feel like, Oh my God, we got to call timeout. If they, you know, go to three wide receivers and get caught with that personnel on the field that you can cover the slot. Now you don't want them in man and man situations. That can be a little dangerous, but, but if you're playing zone or whatever, and he's in the, the walkway over the slot, you're okay. And, and they could probably skew that percentage quite a bit. And, uh, but then, you know, as you said, you know, having now losing Dane Belton, he's a big loss. He's going to get drafted. That, that's a, he's a good player, but, you know, Castro has shown that he can hit and he's now kind of ascended to the point where he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And then Cooper DeGene's talents off the charts. So I think they're going to have a robust, uh, uh, you know, battle there at that position and, and and so and then the other thing is they can match up a little bit more if they want to and they don't necessarily have to but if they decide hey they're Purdue with Tyrone Tracy they're going to have him in the slot most of the time instead of the X receiver which Iowa did stupidly and um, if they but they have him as a slot um, we better have a guy capable of covering him in the slot man-to-man and maybe that's a, a Riley Moss maybe that's a Terry Roberts for this in the individual week as opposed to um, playing the set defense and then finally talking to um, the Seth Wallace about cash and the changes that could come from that is that when you have veteran linebackers like this now they can mix and match and they feel like they can put any of the three linebackers at any of the three positions. So if they go up against a team like a, a Minnesota or a Wisconsin or an Illinois, that'll run two tight ends and they'll run to the tight end side. He's like, who's my biggest, most physical linebacker. It's Jack Campbell. Yeah. So I'm going to have Jack Campbell play Leo move Seth Benson to the, to the mic and Justin Jacobs to the will. So I can be stronger at the point of attack as opposed to maybe, you know, Jacobs might be not quite, the right guy at that spot where Campbell would be. So that's really impressive for this team that has a chance to, um, to grow. And it was already and really a rebuilding here is already one of the more, the better defenses in the country. Now it has a chance to really be even more stout, especially um, up front in the front seven. Yeah. And I think there's healthy um, positional battles all over uh, on all three levels. Uh, Kayvon said the other day that, uh, you know, he's kind of trying to not being able to practice. He's, you know, trying to focus on all the positions from, while watching and film study and things like that. So I think you get that level of uh, maturity 
with guys. And even Raleigh Moss talked about being on the Matt Hankins plan um, of coming back and being a fifth year guy and, and acting and, and approaching things like a professional. Um, and he noticed that with Matt last year, that there was a, you know, a, a, an ex, a higher level of focus on just the small details and, uh, you know, Riley's already, I mean, he's the big 10 defensive back of the year. If he gets better at focusing and a lot of talk, Scott, about, and uh, Logan Lee talked about this, and Noah Shannon and Joe Evans up front about not only, you know, being able to identify, uh, you know, and, and make plays, but being able to identify what the offense is doing, formations, what plays they may run out of different formations and being able to identify. It almost sounds like the defense is, is with the experience level that there is there that they can almost, you know, focus on being prepared and playing faster, which I think for opponents is, is a scary thought. <laughs> right. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's when, when you looked at all of them, you know, outside, you know, you go into last year and you think about it, you lose a, a first team unanimous All-American, Dadeon Nixon, who had more tack. This is in a, in a defense that doesn't, right? It's, it doesn't even really care about tackles for loss, yet his tackles for loss per game in a two-gap scheme was the highest for a defensive tackle since 1992 in the Big Ten play. That was just unbelievable that he, what he did. And Chauncey Golston was every bit as effective as, yep. as uh, Damian Nixon. And Jack Heflin was really good. All three were on NFL rosters. And to see what – they lost all of that. And Zach Van Volkenberg was the only one coming back. And you had guys like – you walk into that year going, okay, um, John Wagner's never really played the role. Um Noah Shannon has been – he had one start, and it was, it was a rotational guy and didn't eat up a lot of snaps. And Logan Lee had always been hurt. And then he had all these really young guys that, you know, you, did, you knew that they had really good talent, just didn't know what you're going to get. And then the way they came together so quickly and then improved, and it was almost like Labrador puppies. They just went out there and they were making plays and they were working really hard. And, but now it's like, uh, they're a little bit more mature. They're like a hunting dog. And, and uh, you know, like Kelvin kind of said yesterday, our focus now is you can read the play before it happens just by what, how is the offensive lineman, you know, what's the, the lean and what, how are they coming out of the huddle? Who's doing what? You, you can tell the, the plays before they're going to happen, where the ball's going to go, just simply by maybe the way they rock their feet back. And once they read all of that, then, <laughs> uh, you know, I think this could be a, a dominant defense for no, no question. And you look at the younger players, uh, to me, I, I think that's where the strength lies. Uh, you know, Lucas Van Ness tied for the um, team high in sacks as an interior player, but he's going to be, an all-American defensive end in my eyes. I think he's going to be the, and they're, they're kicking him outside a little bit. YA black, it, you know, once he masters the art of um, staying low and being able to, to hit and split double teams, penetrate, but keep tie up blockers at the same time, he's going to be just a, a, an absolute beast. I think Logan Lee right now is, is, is a breakout caliber player. Um, you know, they like the way Deontay Craig is playing right now. 
uh, you know, and then not to forget about John Wagner, who holds the point of attack really well, and and Noah Shannon, who's easy to overlook, but is really the guts and glue of that that unit. Um, and Ethan Herkett is isn't going to play, and uh, or you know isn't practicing right now, but he's got a lot of toughness. And and I even I asked, I said, is it too early to ask about Aaron Graves? It's like no. Uh, he's like, well, I'm not counting on him to play, but he will have an impact. So uh, <laughs> you throw eight, nine l- names out there of guys that I look at and go, wow, they can they can do something with this um, this unit. That's something that, you know, if you're South Dakota State, Iowa State, I mean, on down. All right. You're going to be you got to be ready for a big time performance from these guys. Yeah, Kelvin Bell and uh, Jay Neiman have really um, teamed up to to really do a nice job at development here. It's not like <clears throat> any of these guys are, <clears throat> excuse me, you know they're they're dealing with four and five star kids coming in here ready made, um, and they're they're develop, developing them at a quicker rate than I think has happened during the Kirk Ferentz era where it would take guys, you know, maybe three, four years before they could, you know, and and again, they've changed kind of philosophy. It used to be, you know, you know, guys like Adrian Claiborne begging to come off the field um, and refusal to rotate guys. They've done a better job with that. And I think that engages more guys. And we talked about the cast position that puts more guys on the field it almost gives you more than 11 defensive positions when you're talking about how often, you know, you still stick with, for the most part, your, your corners and safeties are going to be consistent. You're not going to rotate them, but rotating guys in, you know, the cash Leo and then having depth on the defensive line, it engages more guys. And I think it helps with development. And we're seeing that on the defensive front. I mean, you mentioned a lot of the guy I'm with you. I think Lucas Van Ness and Logan Lee are breakout guys. I think those are guys that, go from, you know, maybe the consciousness of pretty involved Iowa fans to pretty much every Iowa fan, knowing, you know, who the the names of those guys are. Um, And, you know, and and they've done a good job, too, of having guys like John Wagner and Joe Evans, guys that are there, and you can tell talking to those types of guys, leadership guys they've been through it they they know what what's needed to succeed they may not necessarily be the most naturally gifted but they can help guys that are really gifted maximize those gifts and uh, I think we're seeing that I just think it's a really good mix Um, it's a really good formula that they have on the defensive line right now you could really say I mean if you're if we were to rate rank the units by development that Defensive line is at or near the top of the list because when a Deontay Craig or a Lucas Van Ness can come in in a very short period of time and make an impact, um, that tells you a lot. Joe Evans can basically go from being a high school quarterback, a walk-on guy, to tying for the league for the team high in sacks. That tells you a lot. And then over the years, we've had a Parker Hesse or um, a Sam Brinks and guys like that do the same thing. And, um, and and then again, you know, just the the younger factors. I, I think the rotational uh, part of it is is critical, as you said. Back when, when well, 2010 under Ference to me is the biggest disappointment year because that year 
Um, they were started the season in top eight, right at coming off, off an Orange Bowl win, returned just about everybody, certainly up front. And yet uh, they only played largely five guys. You know, they rotated a little bit with Mike Daniels and, and Ballard and Benz, but really it was, and they lost five games with that they had the lead or were tied with five minutes to go in the game or less. A lot of them were in the final two minutes and a lot of it, and almost all of it was on defense. So that tells you that the defense got wore out and you could say, you know, two of the big factors were one, their reluctance to play five defensive backs and two, the fact they didn't rotate very well or at all front. So you had tired defensive linemen trying to chase quarterbacks and then you had um, less than athletic matchups in the back end and, and they corrected that. And it's really been a hallmark as to why this team, you know, it's tied, it, it's, um, third in the country over the last four years in average yards per play allowed behind Clemson and Georgia. That That's really good company because, and it's able to replace, even though the other two schools have five-star talent left and right, um, they're still able to do it with some five stars, some four stars, a lot of three stars, and some walk-ons who really develop in a, in a rapid rate. I think it's been really impressive. Yeah, now we just need the offense to come into this century. I joke, I kid a little. Yeah, uh, but, um, yeah and I mean, that's, you know, I, that that was the – I think some of it's a trust factor too, Scott. I think the philosophy back then in 2010 was that these are our guys and these are the guys we trust. They're, they've opened that up a little bit more, and I think Phil Parker's helped just his longevity and his relationship with Kirk – to be able to sell him, for lack of a better term, uh, on saying this is what we need to do. And I think Kirk trusts Phil in terms of, you know, what he thinks is best. And, and that allowed them, especially after the Wisconsin game, that they were like, all right, we need to make changes. And then they, they've they slowly uh, developed into playing more defensive linemen. And I think A.J. Epinesa kind of forced their hand there because they're like, well, we got to get this kid on the field and, you know, uh, and I think once they did that and they saw how successful it was, that almost allows because Kirk is a little bit power control, and it, it, you know he sometimes can be stubborn. But when he sees something working like that, I think it frees him up. So that's kind of my hope too on offense that maybe there's you know the um, the it gets loosened up a little bit where maybe we can see some more. Um, and I think Seth mentioned seeing yesterday, seeing some different things from the offense. So I'm, if Lucy pulls the football out again, so be it. But I'm going to go in with some uh, hope that we see a little bit more evolution on that side of the ball. Yeah, that, it has to happen. You just can't continue to do the same things and expect anything different to happen. You know, maybe you can have different or better players, um, you know, make things better, but it's just, you, you've got to make some changes there. We all know that we've talked about it pretty much weekly last fall and can do continue to do the same now. Um, but, you know, I, I think the evolution on defense has been really healthy because, uh, and, and it's understandable why they did things the, the way they did it before, which is, Keep your best players on the field, you know, and back in the day, don't take Matt Roth or Jonathan Babineau off the field or Colin Bowler or whoever. That doesn't make any sense. And then 
um, you know, when they had kind of the, the Leo backer, you know, you don't want to take out an AJ Eads or a Grant Steen or, you know, and, and over the last decade, guys like, you know, Chris Kirksey, they didn't lose anything with him on the field. But when you think about like 2010 and as depleted as they were at linebacker, and I remember specifically the Ohio State game and a couple of two plays, obviously the Terrell Pryor scramble on fourth and 10 was, you know, when you have linemen who are on dead legs by that time of the game, trying to chase around a quarterback that big and that athletic and that physical, it's really hard. Uh, you know, that's why you need seven, eight, nine guys. Now they didn't have that. I'll say that too, that there wasn't anybody on the bench that they could bring in and say, he's going to be our closer. <laughs> uh, but, but on the, the back end, they did. On the back end, they had guys that could go out there and um, play the slot. And when you see Dane Sensenbacher making a play on Troy Johnson, and, you know, no offense at all to Troy, but that's not a good matchup. When you got the Big Ten's top wide receiver on uh, a second team outside linebacker, that just doesn't work. And, and we've seen that a few other times. Now, players make plays in big games. That happens, but you've got to make sure your your chess pieces are in the right position to make the force them to make a, a superior play when not just an average play, which is what happened there. Yeah, and that trust factor I think is is important to to um, have trust in your players um, and more players to be able to contribute. Um, and I think that's the next step offensively is to have more trust, put your players in position to succeed more, um, not be so rigid. Um, and I have hope that that's going to happen. Um, I wonder just kind of this, we talked about this coming into the spring, Scott, I think a lot of, uh, quite a few of these defensive backs came in, saw those openings and were like, let's compete for these spots. And it's good. You know, we're about halfway through spring roughly and, I'm wondering about guys like A.J. Lawson and Brandon Dees Fernandez and, um, you know, on and on about that group of younger guys that are getting into year two and three. And that's an important time um, where they stand. And, you know, you talk about Cooper DeGene coming in and Xavier Wongpa coming in and T.J. Hall coming in. Are they are they hopping those guys? on the de- You know, we see a two deep, but obviously there's, yeah. there's a depth chart that goes beyond that. Um, I just wonder how things are transpiring in that secondary, because then if you were to have guys leave, then depth becomes a factor going into next season because it's a lot harder to replace them. So, And I'm not saying anybody's leaving, but it's just something to be aware of and keep an eye on. You know, I think that's where attrition is healthy to some extent. It's, it's mutually beneficial. You don't have anybody who's kind of stunting the progress of anybody younger. And then you allow those players to go on and play. And, um, you know, yesterday and Phil, you know, he was asked specifically about certain players and he talked, he talked up Brendan Diaz Fernandez and he didn't have really anything to say about AJ Lawson. So I think that's probably where things stand there. I'm not, I don't, I think I'm reading between the lines, um, you know, maybe I, I could be way off, but you know, maybe he just forgot. I don't know, but I don't think so. Um, but you know, when you look at 
where things are kind of right now in the secondary, just on, based on feel. Uh, when you don't have Jamari Harris in there and you have Terry Roberts, who's a little bit dinged up still from last year. And they, I'm sure they don't want Riley Moss playing a thousand snaps in practice in the spring. So um, the player that gets mentioned the most, as far as somebody who's growing is TJ Hall. And, and we, you know, Phil has always shown an ability to, Hey, if, if, you know, younger guy can play, play, I mean, you know, who's the guy who replaced Jordan Lomax in the, in the first quarter of the 2014 game uh, season opener. It was Esmond King as a true freshman. He turned out to be a pretty good player. So, um, but what does it mean for the guys behind him? And I think right now the pecking order seems to be somewhat of a, you know, you got Xavier is kind of focused more on safety right now, um, just to get just to get some sort of eye level. And that that was really kind of intriguing by um, Seth, which was if you can see it from the back end, then it helps you when you move to the, you know, to the second level. Otherwise you might as well just stay with him and be a linebacker in the way you view things if you're going to be a cash, but, um, but you have Quinn Schulte has apparently solidified himself as a starting free safety. And, you know, you've got uh, Kayvon who hasn't really, uh, you know, hasn't practiced a lot. I don't know if any, and then you've got, uh, you know, Sebastian Castro, who's working at both spots, and Cooper DeGene, who I guess is working a little bit at both spots. And, and uh, so those are the players that kind of get thrown out there the most. And and so beyond that, yeah, there's probably going to be some attrition. There always is. It's just, is it good attrition? Uh, I, I would say if, if you feel like you're giving it your competitive best and it's just not in the cards for you, there's nothing wrong with that. If, you know, and, and everybody has some qualms about, well, I didn't get an opportunity. And I think Phil said, now's your opportunity. So. Yeah. And I think that's just, you know, the nature of having a large group of defensive backs. Those are guys that contribute on special teams. It's just, there's a large group and there's only so many um, opportunities to play on defense um, you know, you have a guy like Dallas Craddock, yeah. who at least to this point, point understands kind of where he sits in the pecking order, is willing to contribute on special teams, uh, you know, from everything I've been able to gather is a very positive influence yeah. in the room. Uh, those are good guys to have if they decide that that's what they want to do. But maybe somebody like Reggie Bracey doesn't feel like he wants to do that or yeah. A.J. Lawson or you know, some guys are caught, you know, in between, in the middle of that and how close am I to playing? How close am I into the field? Um, things like that. So, um, you know, that's something, that's something that I thought, you know, and we've talked about on the podcast coming into the spring, I think those guys saw opportunity coming into the spring. It's how do they feel coming out of the spring? Yeah. It's, it's always the case. And, when you look at three starters leaving, the opportunities there. How do you take advantage of it? Well, you know, you work your butt off in the weight room and in conditioning, and then you, you, you know, hope that translates over to the field. And and I have a feeling that if any of those players make enough strides, that they will be considered. You know, I don't see any reason why Phil would ever hold anything back. I mean, and, and the statistics bear it out. <laughs> They're good. You know, they're good every year. So he's not going to say, well, I this guy's my favorite. I really like him. I mean, he's never done that. 
So, <laughs> you know, they made some decisions that you kind of question from time to time, but, but largely I think, you know, it's, it's pretty good and, and his track record is outstanding. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's competing for the same thing and not everybody can play. And, and so I, I think you're going to see probably some attrition. And a lot of times the attrition comes from players who aren't necessarily from the region or players who don't have a tie to the school or players who maybe have options or, you know, they're, they got one eye out or they got a friend or, you know, there's, there's a, you know, if, if Eastern Illinois, for instance, I'm just speculating here, by the way, but you look at an AJ loss and Eastern Illinois is an option or Indiana state or someplace. Or, you all right. Man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, or take your pick in Alabama or whatever. I mean, a lot of times go closer to home. Um, and so I, I, if that happens, it, it's just part of the, part of the cost of doing business per se. Yeah. And like I said, everybody has their own timetable clock in their head and view of how things are going. Um, I do think Julius Brent surprised the coaches when he left, um, but that was his choice. He felt like he wasn't, uh, he felt like he was going to play that year and uh, struggled out of the gate and didn't play as much as he wanted to and decided that he was going to move on. And other guys like we talked about, like Dallas Craddock is kind of just plugging along, looking for potentially an opening where he can get on the field, helping on special teams um, and to each his own. You know, you can't say this is the right way to do things or the wrong way to do things. It's up to each individual. They have a, a very limited window to get on the field. And I don't blame any of them for choosing what they feel at the time is best for them. And it's not, a, it's an inexact science. You don't always know whether, I mean, you, you could leave and then there could be a rash of injuries where you would have played and go someplace where, and, and I'm not, I mean, those guys coming into this spring, Scott, were thinking, all right, they were, they were, uh, kind of sizing up the competition that they had already seen. They didn't know what Xavier Wonkpon, TJ Hall. I mean, those guys came in, they weren't here in the fall. So now they come in, you don't know what they're going to be in your mind. You're confident in your abilities thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to beat out a true freshman. That may not be the case. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing, you know, these guys catch up so quickly because it's an athletic position that, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, you know, and especially corner. You know, safety is a little different because you got to read so much and do so many different things. You know, Wampa, you know, for instance, to me will be, I don't think he, I I would say right now, I don't see him unless there's some injuries starting this year, but I see him starting in 2023. You know, I see like him replacing Kayvon, you know, that type of role. Whereas TJ Hall playing, hey, you're going to play left cornerback or you're playing right cornerback. And we've seen injuries, obviously, at that position last year. It was a rash of injuries with Hankins and, and Roberts and, you know, Jamari Harris held on by his teeth. Then he got hurt in the bowl game and Cooper DeGene had to go in. So um, so that, that's certainly a possibility there. It, it's, um, it's just it's fascinating. It really is because there's just so much um, – to watch and yeah the the younger players who think this is their chance they don't see themselves uh getting passed up but it happens and 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 you want that i mean that's why you always recruit i mean i know every coach has said that you know he'll they'll go up to guys and 
hey, next year I'm going to recruit somebody better than you. So, you know, and that may be true or it may not be true, but at least it's it's a challenge and you've got to be prepared for it. And, and like Ju- Julius Brents, that was an interesting one because I think if Matt Hankins would have said that he was leaving, then maybe he would have stayed. But if you look at last year, you know, he wouldn't have broken into the starting lineup. You know, you had Matt Hankins and you had Riley Moss. And and uh, when you look at that group that came in, recruited all at the same time with Dallas Craddock and, and uh, DJ Johnson and Julius Brents, who would have thought that Riley Moss was the best one out of the bunch? You know, and he won the Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year Award. So it's kind of validation now. And so um, they all, as you said, you know, they all kind of move at different rates, but but Riley moved into the starting lineup as a freshman and outside of uh, quite a bit of a sophomore year, he stayed there. Yeah, the only thing that's really kept him off the field had been injuries. Um, yeah, right. So another area I thought that's interesting and, and, you know, we wonder about, you know, talking about who those guys are depth-wise in the secondary, we really didn't know about linebacker because of how many reps – Benson, Campbell, and Jacobs played last year. So it was interesting to hear yesterday from Seth Wallace about those guys behind them at linebacker, you know, getting an extent, extended look at them this spring. And it sounds like they've, they've impressed. And that's good because you need those guys to develop because obviously Campbell and Jacobs are most likely gone after this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and Benson, could come back. We'll see if he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, you 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 have to develop guys at that position. Recruiting has kind of changed at that position now because of the cash. So there are le- there are fewer numbers there, or at least fewer scholarship guys. They've gone more walk on there in a way at times. So uh, that to me is is something I look behind the curtain a little bit at what's happening at linebacker behind those starting three. No, and it, what's interesting is, it, what was it, last year, last year, 2020, where they just had, you know, they, they loaded up. They, they had like four linebackers. Uh, you know, you had Carson Scherer and you had Jaden Harrell and uh, Tweet, um, Zach Tweet, and you had Justice Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, but, you know, out of, out of all the bunch right now, you know, Jay Higgins is kind of LB4. And my guess is just kind of based on what they you know, they said is I, I would expect him if there were any changes that he would probably have to play middle, you know, if there's a, if somebody gets hurt that they would make him the, the middle linebacker. And, and, uh, but, and then Kyler Fisher, he's a walk on, but he's a really good athlete and um, he blocked the kick or the punt last year. And, I think he's, you know, Logan Klempf is is kind of in the same ballpark as Craddock. Just came in with none of the the plaudits, you know, none of the yep. stars or whatever. But he's he's been a really good special teamer, and he's a backup, and they can use him from time to time. And then, you know, Jaden Harrell and Carson Char, I guess, are the two that you just that are have kind of emerged out of that other group. And um, you know, and then you've got what this year you've got the Van Kettricks from out in Western Iowa coming in and I'm trying to remember there's one more. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a two and a half position spot these days. 
you know, and, and other than backups. And I think they feel like they've got four really good linebackers. They're just kind of working on the, the depth of the others. And if there is a secret blessing to not having those guys most of the spring, it's the fact that they, uh, that they can work on that depth. Yeah, and I think they recruit, Scott, to the point where let's get, you know, athletic guys on that second level and see how they perform there. And then, you know, you could have a situation where maybe a Justice Sullivan develops into a rush. And, um, you know, we've seen that with guys that can move up to the front. And uh, I think that's kind of when you sort through those first few years, which guys do fit into the puzzle at linebacker and which guys may show an aptitude to move up to the edge. So, um, and I think that group that you talked about is kind of where they're, um, they're evaluating that right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple other guys who may figure into that might be Jackson Rexroth, um, you know, set some positional records in what, in the squat. Uh, as a as a freshman, as a safety, but I saw him play baseball against Solon a few years ago. Good athlete, right? Um, but he's you know, and he's listed at like one ninety something, but he's actually like two sixteen. So that tells me that he's on the pathway up, you know, to move up to the second level, not stay at the third. And uh, you know, and so you know, he's listed as second team. I imagine in a safety, I'd imagine he went up being, you know, maybe maybe this year, maybe they decided fall camp. All right. You're going to, you're going to move up now. You're going to have to, because they're going to have to make some decisions on next year. As you said, all three of them have their COVID year, but, and, and Jacobs is a redshirt junior, but if he's a top 100 guy, he's gone, you know, Jay, you know, Campbell right now, I would expect him to be, you know, a top 50 guy in the draft. Benson could take his COVID year, but you know, that's a lot of hitting, <laughs> you know, five yeah. years to six years of hitting and for not getting paid for it other than NIL now. Uh, I would expect him to, to kind of pull like, you know, like Jack Kerner and, and hey, let's give it our shot. And, and Benson's a good enough guy that I think he can make a roster um, as a special teamer and, and back at linebacker. But that's next year. That's not this year. Yeah, I have a feeling health, health permitted – uh, for Campbell and Jacobs, those guys are going to continue to improve their draft stock as this season goes on. Um, more exposure, uh, you know, I, I think scouts will that come around will focus on them a little bit more. And uh, I, I would expect them to be two of the more uh, sought after guys for Iowa in this next draft, 2023 draft, not yeah. the one that's happening in a few weeks. Right, right. <laughs> Which is coming quick here. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally coming quick after three months of chitter chatter. But uh, no, I, I don't, it's kind of like the great, great white concert. It just kind of sneaks up on you. When you <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, it, it's a weird year when you, when you do talk about the draft because Iowa has one guy who's going to go really high. And I think two to three, maybe go third day, probably. And then and it's but I think that this real strength of last year's team was in the younger uh, players uh, because if Sam Laporta would have came out, I think he'd probably a third round type of guy. If Jack Campbell comes out, he was um, depending on the, you know, some with him, it was more about fit, you know, where does some teams liked him really high. Other teams didn't like him at all. And, um, you know, and then, just, you know, I think that's kind of the case with the whole team. Moss. Yeah. Moss, same thing. I mean, yeah. 
he, you know, is he a corner? Is he a safety? Is he, well, we just don't like him. My guess is, though, if he was running a 40, that dude was going to cut under 4-4 four, four for sure, you know, maybe closer to 4-3. He would have uh, <laughs> he'd have been a darling after the draft, my, dad, my guess. Yep, he'll provide more clarity this year, too, when he has another year to focus. Because mm-hmm. uh, he and, and Campbell and Jacobs um, will all pop off the film this year. Yeah. So um, anything else we want to hit on defensively, Scott? From yesterday no. that you heard from any of the guy, any of the coaches, or anything that came off the came off the page to you, you know, not a nothing really other than what we had just kind of discussed. I think one side fact, and this is more on the other side of the ball, is is uh, you know the Brody Brecht. I think he's right now kind of um, you know first of all last night against Bradley, six batters faced, six strikeouts, and twenty four pitches is. Um, you know, as in Bull Durham, they'd say that's fascist, but man, that's fastest. <laughs> you know, so that is uh, that is special and elite. But you know, he's still plugging along. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about him, and we talked the other day, and just about how juggling has got to be really difficult this time of year. But he's making it work, and you know, going to going to practice, going to workouts, and then going to class, and then coming to baseball, and and uh, to Iowa's credit, and you can't give Ray Braithwaite enough credit in this, in, in my opinion, is that they adjusted all of what they were going to do weight-wise for him um, because they wanted to make sure, you know, that they, they have an individual weightlifting plan for him. So, you know, they, they take some of the, you know, the stress. He doesn't do like hang clean because they don't want to leave. They don't want to have a stress on his elbow. And, and things like that. It's more individually based in, in a weightlifting program. And, and obviously that's, that's smart because as much as he wants to play football and I think he'll be an asset this year and it sounds like he's done some good things there, but you know, I, I think uh, we know where he's going to make his money. <laughs> yeah. 102 miles an hour, which is what Rick Heller said. Um, if he hit 102, yeah, he's, I don't care if he runs a four one, that, that's where he's going to make his money. Yeah, and I think you just, as you said, just kind of let this develop. Just, you know, as long as he wants to try to do both, um, I think his performance will dictate what he ends up doing. Like you said, if he continues to have performances like he did last night, and consistently hold velocity, uh, improve his command and control. Um, you know, those are – those. You, you look at it from each sports perspective – you know, what does he need to do from a pitcher's standpoint to increase his stock? It looks like it's happening, but as we know, that's a, that's a tough sport to master. It's a tough sport uh, to be consistent, and that's kind of what he's looking for there is consistency. He has the natural gifts. And then how can he develop, you know, as a receiver? in not having maybe as much development time as the guys that are in the room with it. And, you know, some guys are, are really, you know, they, they have an aptitude for not needing as much, you know, they're, they're just, and, and I think one thing that gets lost in this Scott is the competitiveness factor. He's, you know, the spring football is competitive, 
but it's not the same as going out there on a Friday night in a baseball game and having to get that out. You know, that's mm-hmm. another level of competitiveness. That's, you know, lining up and running a route in September or October. Yeah. So he's, he's being competitive a lot more than most guys at this level. And I think that can help. Him. That's why they like having multi-sport athletes coming into the program anyway. They don't want just a guy who's just a football player and he lifts weights and he runs routes and that's it. I mean, that they like the fact that an offensive lineman wrestles in right. high school or plays basketball or runs track that when you're, you know, or throws the shot or, or plays baseball. I mean, all those things are really important because you've got to be competitive. You, you've got to be competitive against another an individual in a lot of cases. And so that's, what he's getting out of that is that competitive juice, that fire that, that, you know, it's going to be fascinating though, in the summer to me when, you know, they have like a lot of the workouts in June and, but he's going to have to go to a prospect too, you know, and now if there has been one benefit, I guess, to minor league baseball getting cut the way it has is, you know, there's two teams within, you know, an, an hour ish of Iowa city, Burlington and Clinton, that he can go to one of them and pitch every couple of days and then still be in Iowa city and, um, you know, working out and catching routes from Petrus or Labus or whoever. But, um, you know, there's going to come a time. We all know it. He's, there's going to come a time where he's going to have to make that choice. And it's probably, you know, barring an injury or something like that. It's, it's probably, you know, after his junior year of pitching, you know, that, you know, which should be going into his junior year of football as a redshirt guy, that he'll have that opportunity to go to the draft. And if he's hitting 102 and he's striking out six dudes that he faces in six at-bats, <laughs> you know, you're just going to have to say thank you and go make your, you know, go sign for $8 million and be the number four pick overall in the draft. And that's probably where he'll be. But, but until then, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And if anything else, he's going to push everybody else to make sure they don't get passed up by him. Yeah. Um, I think about Jerry on Ely from Old Miss. He's a guy that came in um, as, you know, the two sport athlete running back outfielder, a little bit different combination there. As we talked about pitching uh, is a little, you know, you're not, you don't have the hitting aspect of it and timing and things like that. Obviously pitching is, a, you know, you have to, uh, build up and, and uh, address what's needed at that position as well. But Ely ended up playing quickly as a football player. I think he got hurt, um, but he's in this year's NFL draft, even though he showed an aptitude for baseball. A little bit different there. We talked about Samarja, who kind yeah. of figured it out as he went on. That may be a better comp yeah. for um, for Brody, but – you know, it again, performance kind of dictates which path you take. Yeah. I mean, if, if he's an average pitcher at Iowa, then it's, it's a, makes it the decision different. I mean, if he's again, throwing hundred miles an hour, every single MLB club is going to go, we want that guy. And we feel like we can help him get to, to the MLB level, whether that's a closer or middle, middle relief or, starter you know he and with his size and strength and you know and 
I think one the other day Rick was asked just kind of what are some of the what can help him, you know, his football helped him. And he's just like, well, you know, the guy runs routes, the guy's in good shape, you know, he's, um, you know, so his legs are strong, he's physical. So that's tells me that he's got a real future as a starting pitcher, at least right off the bat. And, um, you know, I think we're going to see that eventually, but Hey, you know, there's, they've got, they've got four guys back at receiver, but, there's, yeah, I think they're they're all going to be ascending players. I think they're all going to be good players, but there's not one of them that you walk out and go, that guy this year is going to be a, a second round draft pick. <laughs> so I think Brody Breck has an opportunity to to make it carve his own role, if you will, um, in the receiving room. I'm rooting for him. I think it's a great story. Um, I was hoping back when they were coming out of high school that. AJ Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs would get a chance to throw and track. It didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a big, I'm from the Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders yeah. era. Uh, I, and, and those guys are like the extreme right. of, of what we're talking about. But I, I love what, I love that idea of two sport athletes. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, to see them be able to do what they're doing. Danny Ainge. Yeah. You know, remember him uh, yep. doing that for, the Blue Jays and the uh, and the Celtics, of course, he was really good there. So, uh, but yeah, I, I I'd like to see him stick it out as long as he can. At some point, he'll, you know, you, there haven't been I don't remember any other than Samarja coming close, but there haven't been any pitchers slash NFL players. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't happen very often. But yeah, let this let this play out. It gives us, you know, I I don't know, maybe it's the journalist in me, but. As much as we can have something to write about in the spring, I'll take. Yeah, and Henry Marques um, came in with the idea of trying to do that. So it kind of shows you that it's not easy to do. And again, different for him. He was um, a position player in baseball. I think it's more – it's easier to do if you're just pitching. And that's not to say that that's not easy – an easy thing to do, but – anybody who's tried to hit a baseball understands that, you know, you can't just kind of drop in and hit a baseball. Connor McCaffrey, same deal. Yeah, He's had a lot of injuries. That's, that's, you know, hurt his opportunity there, but, you know, and, and you hope, I really hope that doesn't end up being the case because that can be the case, especially with football being even way more physical than basketball, but you know, the injuries could dictate, your moves and um but yeah i think i think as a pitcher because just because you it's a singular focus it's not as much hand-eye coordination as swinging a bat at a, at a ball going 90 plus miles an hour and then or 79 at miles an hour that drops <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that can really if you don't see that so often it can fade very quickly and then you're like starting over again Oh, uh, let's uh, hop in a little recruiting uh, for football. Then we'll hit some couple minutes on basketball recruiting. Uh, and then we'll close with some baseball talk. Um, so ba- football wise, i uh, got a commitment this week from John Nestor out of Chicago Marist. Um, big safety type, as we talked about earlier in the show. He's a guy who could end up at linebacker. Uh, depending on development, but uh, really good athlete. 
could good catch for Iowa. They offered him at the beginning of March uh, on a junior day visit, uh, and then he committed this week. Um, lost one, Darius Taylor, running back out of Michigan, uh, who visited here last week, ended up choosing Minnesota yesterday. Uh, so, so I was up to seven commitments now. Really good start to this uh, 23 class, Scott. A lot better than what we were talking about last summer when we were basically saying, it's okay, guys. Yeah. You know, just, just relax. But, yeah, that was interesting. I thought Darius Taylor took that plunge that quickly. But, um, you know, so probably people are saying the same thing, I guess, about uh, Nestor. Uh, you know, there's some big fish out there right now. Um, but – and I think the offensive linemen are the ones where – you know, it's kind of like all eyes are on, you know, they've got a center prospect, but now it's, uh, I'm really fascinated by obviously Proctor is the, the big fish and all big fish, frankly. Um, the silence is deafening right now. Yeah. Right. It's like, <laughs> um, you know, and then, you know, Caden, Caden green is out there. I think he's probably not, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you know more. I, I mean, it seems to me to be more of a Michigan, Oklahoma kind of guy, maybe Mizzou, as opposed to Iowa. But he's been here, so yeah, yeah. I'm kind of with you on that. I think you got a pretty good read on that one. So, but you know, you just recruiting so fickle. You just never know. Um, you know, we we talked about you know Xavier Wangpa and how that developed and evolved last year. Um, you know, Iowa went in, you know, in spring and early summer, Iowa felt like it was on the outside looking in and then made up ground. So, and, and we're back to the pre-COVID recruiting rules here where you're getting kids coming through now during spring ball. Um, yeah. You'll have next month in May where coaches can go out on the road. So those, those things benefit Iowa. So um where things stand today may not be where they stand in a month or two months from now. And then June, obviously you have camps uh, and then the big official uh, visit weekend later in the month. So big couple months here coming up on the recruiting trail for Iowa. And it could be where we were again, pre COVID Scott, where a lot of the, to use the Haydenism, the hay is in the barn during the summer. And then you just fill in a few pieces in the fall and winter. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, the offer for Logan Howland, I think is interesting. And, and there's, there's, there's a strong connection there. Iowa's making with the Hun school and with Tony Rassiope and sending quarterbacks out there for training and bringing back quarterbacks is recruiting, you know, uh, yeah. um, you know, I, Charles Jagasaw, you know, and he's, <laughs> you know, the thing is he's kind of been overlooked, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a very talented player and he's actually located much closer than even Caden Proctor is, you know, Rock Island is much closer than, than the Des Moines area. So, you know, that, that's another one. I don't know if that's the case, but you know, the one, if there was one that I was probably disappointed for Iowa, that they, that they weren't able to get, um, you know, to me that, that was, that was probably Caden Fagan. I think he can be a, just a, a beast at running back and, you know, and Illinois put on a full court press. I mean, they I had were, a bad read on that one. I yeah. thought Iowa was in the driver's seat there, but credit to Bielema. He got yeah. him. The, he, his goal is to keep those guys in state and he was able to do it there. But, you know, and, and you know, the, what I, I remember when I do, you know, once every, probably every other month now, kind of a top 10 list, 
you know, and try to gauge who not only who might go where, but who is most important. And I had him high. I had him like four. And I said, if you're not, if he's not running the ball for you, you're tackling him, you know, and maybe he flips the other side of the ball. I don't know, but uh, he's, you could just see it that he's going to be a good player for somebody. And, you know, I think two thirds of the big 10 offered him and Notre Dame was in there. And uh, so staying home, that's a huge win for Bielema, but it's, it's going to be one that, you're going to have to face him several times in the future. Yeah. And, um, you know, you talk about the marquee guys, obviously Caden Proctor is one. And then the other one that's out there is Kyler Casper, who will yeah. be at Tennessee this weekend. He's making the rounds this spring, which is good. Let him get out yeah. there. Let him see what else there is to offer. Um, that one is a tough read for me. I talk to Kevin every now and then he's not showing their hand. <laughs> Uh, and I think they want to go through the process, which is good. Yeah. And I think the, the thought process from them is you have a marquee receiver. Is the Iowa offense going to benefit him the most? Or what can, what can he bring to the Iowa offense? And what can the Iowa offense do for him? And I think those are the questions out there that, he needs to figure out again, as we said, when we were talking about, you know, making decisions by the coaches in the secondary, who to play, you know, which guys when it's close, um, that's going to be the pull for Kyler is the, his love for the university of Iowa compared to potentially going for instance, into Lincoln Riley's offense at USC. Yeah. This is a tough one for Iowa. And it's going to have to convince a great wide receiver that this is not only can you come here, but you can flourish because let's remove the the love for the tiger hawk out of it and even the sport of football. But if you're going, if you are a prospective student in a field like engineering, for instance, is Iowa the best school for you or is it an Iowa state or is it, take your pick of one of the great engineering schools across the country. Well, what can Iowa do for you in the big picture, you know, versus the other ones or law school, you know, do you want to, you know, Harvard versus Iowa, you know, that type of thing. Well, I mean, I know that's different, but in some ways it isn't And that you've got to pick a school that's going to enhance your physical abilities and make you a marketable player because as at this point in your life, you're seen as a next level guy, an NFL guy. You've got size, you've got speed. Your dad played in the league. Um, you've got a lot more, you know, physical height on your dad, and, and you know that for sure. Um, although, my God, is that guy built for being sporty? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, holy cow! Uh, but yeah, I mean, 25 years of covering this team, Scott. He's I, I, he's up there among receivers that have played here. I mean, he was on shitty teams yeah. and still managed to produce. He was a good, good player. Walk-on, too, from Illinois. Right. But sorry to interrupt. No, you know, you're right. And, and so they're going to have to convince them, look, you're going to come here, and we're going to make sure that you have every opportunity not only to, to play, but you don't – 30 catches isn't going to satisfy somebody like that if that's – if he can do that. I mean – you got to do more. You've got to be more. And you, you've got to, okay, now in what ways are you going to make sure the passing offense is successful? And, and I would ask all those questions because 
love only carries you so far. You, if you go to Iowa and, and, you know, and you end up with Brandon Smith numbers. And even though Brandon Smith had, had more talent than he was used, and that's not fair to him. He needs, he needs more than that. So I, I guess this is one that where, Hey, if they can, if they can say, look, we're going to, the reason why we haven't been very successful is because we haven't had the players in place the last few years to be successful. But once we do, we're going to be great. Then show me how, but until then, I think it's going to be a hard argument to make when you've got Oregon and you've got USC or Tennessee or all these other schools that have a track record. Iowa has a track record in every other position, but receiver and quarterback right now. And, and quarterbacks have gotten opportunities at the next level, but receivers outside of a mirror, it's, you know, I mean, the, the last receiver to catch a, a touchdown in the NFL before a mirror was Tim White. It's a long time. So and no, you're you're selling you're selling a vision because no. you know if you look at the reception leaders in the last decade, it's tight ends and slot receivers. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back to Marvin McNutt and Durrell as outside yeah. guys. Um, you talked about Amir and he had some success, but not volume, not a lot yeah. of volume. Uh, Devon Smith underutilized. So you're really selling a vision here, and you're trying to sell a vision against, like Scott said, you know. Offers from Georgia, offers from Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Tennessee, USC. Uh, you know, go down the list of, of proven uh, Penn State guy, yeah. you know, programs that produce NFL wide receivers. Um, Going to be a fascinating case, Scott, to see yeah. if they can close on this one. Right. Yeah. And you got LeVar and LeVar and Kevin are played yeah. together in the NFL. They're very close. So, right, they're very close, and Lavar is an outstanding recruiter, and they've got some, you know. So they, they're just going to have to make a great case, and then they're going to have to follow through with it. Because and the other part is that, you know, it's not like marriage in the in the eighteen hundreds where you're stuck till death you part. <laughs> I mean, you can one year of it, and you're like, hey, no, I'm gone. I'm in the transfer portal, and you could be somewhere else you know, warmer by uh, January. And, and so you got to kind of re-recruit your guys. And, um, you know, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying that there's a lot of prove it with this receiver core, because they can do that at tight end. They can go to the Kai Black, who I think is going to be, is a really important piece right now. I think I would be putting a lot on that and say, you know, we think you could be Noah Fant if you stick around. And I think that there's they could sell that vision. And Noah Fant was a first-round draft pick. Noah Fant was one of the more talented. My opinion, he was the most talented tight end of the 2000s in the Big Ten. You know, he had, what, 19 touchdowns, which was third all-time. And he did basically a little over two years. Specialist. Uh, they could sell. Yeah, they could sell Caden Proctor. <laughs> what who did you say? Specialist. Noah Fant. Yes. Known specialist. Yeah, tight end slash specialist. So. <laughs> Uh, we had to list them as something other than specialist, but we'll call them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Caden Proctor, you, you know, he, you don't have to sell him any more than you already have. I mean, Tristan Wirfs, you know, and Tristan Wirfs started yeah. as a rookie, he's a first round draft pick. Um, he's going to be a, a player there for a long, long time. Um, you know, defensive players, they can do the same thing. Quarterback, you can kind of sell, sell a pro style quarterback and say, you can transform our offense. We haven't had a good quarterback like you since 
you know, and, and Bethard was, was good, but he wasn't all big 10, you know, he wasn't all American. So you could come in and do something special, unique running back. Hey, you want to run behind a pro style offensive line uh, zone scheme that'll translate to the next level receivers, the one that they're going to have to sell uh, and the receivers going to take a leap of faith. And, uh, and I think it's kind of a one year renewal at that position group, because after one to two years, if you're not seeing those results, it's not hard. And I, I still, I think other schools would say, all right, we'll take you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Jameson Patterson's Patterson, same thing. You know, you're selling success as we talked about a lot in this podcast of the secondary. Um, that's going to probably come down to an Iowa state, Iowa battle yeah. for him. I think Kai black is similar. Um, I think both of those guys, it's going to come down to in-state battle. Never know, though. They, they, yeah. could, they could be won over by somebody out of state. But those are two 23s, class of 23 guys in state that um, are important. Um, as you talked about, the offensive line, uh, Luke Burgess, who was at Miami this week, Trevor Lauk, uh, Austin Siraveld, uh, he <laughs> trimmed his list last night and uh, – I was holding out hope that Iowa would be able to hang there, but uh, I think he's down to uh, what Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, or something like that. <laughs> something like the blue bloods of blue bloods. But you're right; a lot of a uh, lot of good, um, a lot of good offensive linemen on the board for Iowa still too. And uh, that June official visiting weekend is going to be big for Iowa. I, I think it's yeah. the 23rd, but I could have my date off there. No, you're right. It's, you know, an offensive line is going to be critical because it, 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 you know, two years ago was a big offensive line year for Iowa. Uh, you, when you had David Davidkoff and Connor Colby and Bo Stevens and Mike Myslinski and those guys, um, Jennings Dunker, Griffin Little now is over on that side of the fence. Logan Jones, even, um, I don't yeah, yeah, he's that year. Um, yeah, if then, you don't have enough offensive linemen, you just steal them from defense. Yeah, that's the way they've gone. <laughs> you know, you, when you look at the trade-offs in recent years, it's Tyler Linderbaum and uh, Logan Jones for Logan Lee. Um, I think <laughs> too bad. I mean, it's it's yeah, lopsided, but I still still think Logan Lee's got a chance to be. Really I think good. Logan Lee can be a very good player. Actually, I, I think he is a good player. And by the end of the year last year, I thought he was outstanding. So it's it's not, the, it's not as bad as some people think <laughs> it is. Even though Linderbaum, it's is, not uh, the Nolan Ryan for Jim Fergosi trade. Yeah, or uh, Lou Brock for a bag of chips, you know. <laughs> but but I think for if you're looking at offense, uh, offensive line, Proctor and whatever else you can get is kind of the the, the bowl, you know. Logan Howland, Trevor Lau, Jagasaw, if you can get him, you know. I don't know if that how realistic that is. He's been kind of quiet from what I gather, and um, I, I think Kai Black is another one because they really. The weirdest part is they missed on some tight ends over the years, and you know, guys yeah, they're I still thought, in the they're still in that that cycle of converting big high school wide receivers into tight ends. When I, and I, if it works for you, it works for you because that's what they've gotten yeah. in this class. You know, the, right. the incoming class; those are guys that played. Uh, you know, they played some in line, but mostly outside uh, in high school. That's weird because. You look at the great ones Iowa's had over 
you know, last 10 plus years. Um, I think, and I'd put Laporta in that category. I think Laporta is going to be one of the top three to five tight ends in the country this coming year, small town, mid Illinois guy, you know, just came out of nowhere. And then you look at Hawkinson was number six, rated the number 66 tight end uh, by 24 seven. Isaac Nada was rated number one that year. And they both ended up on Detroit and they both were drafted the same year. And uh, I think Hawkinson obviously was a first rounder and Nada was a seventh rounder. So it's uh, hard for, in, in fairness, and you know, just fairness to the evaluators, if it's, it's hard to know what a guy who's playing outside in high school is going to do, you know, how, the, how he's going to develop as a tight end. But I, I like the two guys they've gotten in the 22 class. Yeah. And then what, Jackson Carver, they still have a chance with him. Is that right? Yeah. He's starting to pick up though. He's yeah. starting to get, I think Miami offered him this week. I think he may have gotten LSU too. So you always worry about those ACC, SEC schools. Yeah. Right. Who ended up. Yeah. Mac Markway, I, I think was always a long shot. I'm not sure he wanted to come here and, uh, he ended up at LSU after being committed to Florida. I think he was probably an SEC guy all the way. Yeah. yeah and he's close enough to where just kind of keep your, your pole in the water. You can yep. walk away, go to the bathroom, you know, just let the, the bait sit there and you know, <laughs> every now and then check. All right. There's a nibble or, uh, oh, well, um, but I, I, I think guy black is really important because I think he's in that, you can make him an X receiver or you can make him a tight end. And I think right now they want to put him in tight end. And I think he's got a real future if that's what, uh, at that position, if that's what he does with Iowa. And, and as you said, Jameson Patton, um, he's, yeah, I think he's going to, you're either going to be playing with him for four plus years or you're going to be playing against him. Cause I think he could be like Greg Eisworth or maybe a little bit faster. Um. Last recruiting note before we finish up with some a little bit of baseball. Um, just kind of update where I was baseball wise, but Nigel Glover uh, from Justin Jacobs High School, uh, safety out of there, um, out of Clayton, Ohio, Northmont to the Dayton area, uh, 6'3, 200, similar size to Justin coming out of high school, a little bit lighter probably. Um, but he was, he visited yesterday and received an offer. Uh, he's pretty well sought after, like Justin, maybe not that level, but uh, offers from Illinois, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, Northwestern, Purdue, Pittsburgh, uh, West Virginia, kind of in that range. So interested to see kind of how things shake out with him, um, Have obviously have it in there with him, uh, with Justin uh, on the team. So uh, Iowa likes to take advantage of those connections. Yeah, they, they like dipping back in the same well if they can, if it's out of the region. And and it makes sense because they don't have unlimited resources on the road. And so they, they find a spot, and they come back to it. And um, if they can grab a safety, an athletic safety like uh, like Jacobs, then more power to them. You know, that, that's, that was a real big recruiting win in my eyes a few years ago when they got him. Kept him away from Ohio State. And... Uh, He's proven to me that he's he was worth all the you know, attention. Attention, and now um, I think this is his big year too. I mean, he, he could be one of the best linebackers in the country, along with Jack Campbell. No question. 
So we'll see how things shake out with Glover. Trying to get a hold of him today, see if I can. can't do that. Um, before we get to baseball, I want to let you know support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs. Throughout East Central Iowa, a list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. Check that out. Um, We won't spend a ton of time on baseball here. Uh, Keaton Anthony Scott is a freshman from Georgia. Um, I noticed him. He kind of popped out to me the one game I got over this year. I'm like, wow, this kid kid looks like a kid that grew up in the South playing baseball. Um, Third time he's won freshman of the week. Uh, th- this past week, um, he played a role last night in a wild game down in Peoria where Iowa beat uh, the Braves in Bradley Braves in 11 innings by a run. That game kind of went back and forth for a while uh, throughout the game, I should say. So Iowa seems to be playing kind of coming together, playing a little bit better baseball. Got two out of three at Michigan last weekend, which was a great start to the Big Ten. Uh, for those that were planning on going out this Friday to catch the home op- uh, the home Big Ten opener against Illinois, that's been pushed to a doubleheader on Saturday. Surprise, we're having crappy weather in April in Iowa. So they're going to try to shoehorn that in a doubleheader on Saturday uh, and then a 1 p.m. And that's to be announced. The, the weather is going to dictate when that doubleheader is going to be on Saturday. The Probably will announce that tomorrow once they get a better feel for the weather. Uh, And they're sticking with the 1 p.m. start on Sunday. But keep an eye out on on HawkeyeSports.com for any changes in that. But uh, opportunity against Illinois this weekend to to start to continue to build on that Big Ten resume, Scott. But it seems like they're they're playing better baseball lately. Yeah, they are. I mean, I thought their just their start was pretty disappointing. To be honest with you, I thought that they're a better team than than what they showed. Even though you know they split with Texas Tech and they, uh, but I don't know. I think it was the Loris loss that made me just go, "Whoa, that's yeah. not good." But, but you know, they're fifteen and ten. They're going to have to do some damage in the Big Ten, and and uh, I think they will. They always seem to be playing play better as the season goes on. They've got some young pitching, some very talented pitching though, and as you said. You know, I, I think they're in that spot where this year they're going to battle, but it might it might come down to <laughs> where they might have to win the tournament to get in. And uh, but you know, they they are playing better. They won a couple in a row. They won two out of three at Michigan. And if they can just continue to do that, especially at home, you know, Illinois is always a good team. And and uh, you know this, but they're they're five hundred overall, five and one in the Big Ten, but they're five hundred overall. So they're they're in a real similar situation. It's just the Big Ten, other than Rutgers, has really struggled out of conference, and I guess Maryland too. So it's um, it could be a, a real real bear to try to put together a, a tournament resume if you don't win the Big Ten tournament. And you really want to try to get these games in and not have when you're bunched together and, you know, using up arms, but that you don't have to in a, in a short amount of yeah. time. So kind of see where that goes, but um, yeah, softball team beat Drake last night at home. So good win for them. I know track and field is rolling right or now. I think we got gymnastics at the nationals. Some of their kids are doing well there. So check out HawkeyeSports.com for all that info and the latest on what's going on with the spring sports. They're going pretty strong right now next week we'll have some more uh players and coaches during the week to talk about on next week's podcast um and before we know it 
not only will the NFL draft be here, but uh, the spring game will be here. And that's uh, for a reminder for folks that's on April, Saturday, April the 23rd. Uh, they expect that to get underway at a very bizarre 9.45 a.m. <laughs> start. I haven't gotten the background on why it's 9.45. Um, I don't know uh, if they're working around somebody's schedule or what, but uh, <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah, well, I'll be there at 9.45. <laughs> if they were going to say 8.30, I'd probably I'd have to be there at 8.30 too. So. 8.38. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you wonder, you know, is there a – yeah, you know, buffet that Ferris has to get ready for or something, and you know, hey, we got to be there by one. So uh, <laughs> the Golden Corral and Galesburg, Illinois, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it is an interesting time. It's not just ten, but hey, yeah. maybe it's the, that extra fifteen minutes to get the post game interviews out of the way, and everybody can get home faster. I don't know. I'll take it regardless, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's always a crazy day running around. Um, I'm glad it's the weekend before the draft and not on draft weekend. That always, for me, makes things very, very difficult. And, um, but, uh, yeah, and then, then we got the draft coming up, too. So it's – Yeah, we'll hit on that. that I'm, we'll I'm talk about more on that the, that week of probably um, or, you know, maybe next week and the week after. But we'll we'll start to fold in some draft content in the podcast, too, as we move forward here. A lot, plenty to talk about there. Yeah, most definitely. Lots of lots of football this month. All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. And uh, we'll be back to talk to you next week with some more fresh content. Check out the Hawk Fanatic feed here for daily Hawkeye podcasts. Um, I, I believe we're the only one that does daily, but maybe there are other people out there that do. I don't really pay attention to that as much as I probably should. Um, I'm a busy man. I don't have time to listen to podcasts. So it's kind of where I try. I do my best, but have a good week, rest of your week, everybody and, and weekend. And we will talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye Scott.